Welcome to Shovel Talk, a podcast for economic developers. From your friends at the Golden Shovel Agency. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shovel Talk. This is Amanda Jenkins, and I'm here with Bethany. And we have an awesome guest for you today. We're excited to uh, introduce you to her. So, Amanda... Last time we had one of these recordings, we talked about where in the world I have been, but people have not heard from you about your adventures lately. So give us some clues. Yes. So, well, I'll be there by the time this, this comes out, but I'm leaving next week. Let's see some clues about where I'm going. I will be going on a, this is just going to be so obvious, but I'm going on a safari. (laughs) (laughs) Another one, lions and tigers, and actually there won't be bears, but, but yeah, so I think the safari is a good enough hint, but I'm very excited to be heading to another country. It'll be the first time I'm actually leaving the Americas. Most of my travel has been uh, the U.S. and Central and South America, so I'm really excited to, to go a little farther. It's going to be the biggest time difference I've, I've uh, endured and the longest flight. I have a 30-hour flight, so that's going to be interesting. <laughs> That is going to be interesting, Amanda. And that safari that you're going on, hint, hint. <laughs> we none of us know where that could be, but we look right. forward to seeing your pictures. Yes, I'll definitely uh, be sending Audrey some photos and some info to post. And yeah, it'll be fun. So, all right. Well, uh, let's get to the podcast. So, we have, like I said, an exciting guest today. Bethany, take it away. All right. Well, hello, everyone. We are here today with Sarah Harris, the executive director of Midland Development Corporation. We're very excited to have Sarah with us today to learn more about her, about her career, and about the exciting things happening in Midland. Now, before we get into what's happening in Midland, though, I know that you did not grow up there. You did not grow up in the state of Texas. You actually grew up in New Mexico. So what drew you to come to Texas and be part of this exciting community? I grew up in southeastern New Mexico on a ranch, and then I moved to Lubbock, Texas. I studied business in college, moved back to New Mexico for a few years. I worked with my dad. Um, He had a tree and shrub nursery. I worked with them on that. And then we also opened a couple of online e-commerce businesses together. And then um, in about 2013, I met my now husband and he said, please move to Midland to be with me because there weren't any opportunities for him in New Mexico. So I did that. Um, when I when I moved here, I started to interview for jobs and I had several different opportunities. And the Midland Development Corporation was the most exciting one. I was very interested in what the organization did and all the possibilities. So I have been here ever since 2015. So what attracted you to a career in economic development? How did you go um, from, you know, what were you what you were doing prior to economic development? And how do you think your past experiences helped you in the roles that you've had um, with Midland? Yeah, so I had a lot of experience with accounting and finance in my previous roles. And there was a big component of that whenever I started initially at the development corporation. But there were also aspects of uh, research, demography, um, putting together reports for businesses on workforce and availability. It was very interesting to me, aside from what I had done previously. 
And then I started to work more with developing agreements and contracts with businesses that the MDC was negotiating with and kind of moved from there. So it's interesting because you mentioned that obviously your previous experience had a lot to do with preparing you for a role in economic development. And I think that's maybe something a lot of people don't realize that even if you don't go to college with the intent of getting into economic development, there are other pathways to get there. From your experience, do you feel like you were actually able to maybe add more value to the organization because you had worked for a business prior to going into this sector? I would say yes. Um, my experience with uh, business finance definitely prepared me, for example, helping to vet the books of companies that we were interested in in bringing to Midland and uh, also just being able to review business plans and look at revenue and cash flow models and say, this, this doesn't work or this actually looks good. So it was a, a great jumping off point. I don't think business is the only jumping off point for economic development. I think there are a lot of potential entries into the field. It just depends on individuals' interest and uh, desire to do it. So tell us about your experience in Midland as a transplant and how uh, how the town has kind of turned around since you've been there. It's something that you mentioned in a previous uh, recent interview with a news station that you had. Yes, so Midland has changed considerably since I moved here six years ago. I attribute that to a lot of different factors coinciding. One of those being a lot of long planned initiatives have come to fruition. So things that had been in the works for years finally came about. And then there are other factors like improved infrastructure. The MDC has invested so much in improving roads, water, sewer in Midland. It's really improved the flow of traffic and how people get in and out of the city. Also, we have some really forward thinking leadership in Midland, both at the elected level and at the industry level. Something that has had a huge impact on the entire region is the Permian Strategic Partnership, which is a consortium of the leading energy companies that operate in the Permian Basin. They've pledged to invest substantial amounts of money in the region and have made a pledge that they're going to be responsible stewards of the natural resources located here. So that has had a significant impact on how the city works and uh, the available amenities, educational, healthcare amenities. And then lastly, I'd like to touch on just a renewed appetite for investment in Midland. There's been a complete revitalization of downtown which again was a long burning project that has come to fruition. And then there's more interest in amenities and quality of life in Midland. So I believe that especially people who are my age want to see the city transformed from what was previously maybe a call of duty city where our term of duty, where you would come in, work for an energy company, build your career, make some money, and then move on to the Metroplex, Houston, Austin, et cetera. Whereas now there are a lot of community members who want to make Midland into the kind of town where people will come, stay, put down roots, raise their family, retire, et cetera. You know, it's interesting because we've had the privilege of profiling some of the different projects the MDC has gotten involved in. And I know you mentioned the renewed interest in quality of life. I know uh, the NBC has actually invested in quite a few quality of life initiatives and, and organizations. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that's helped to maybe transform some of the fabric of the community? 
Yes, the MDC has invested in quite a few quality of life and cultural resources here in Midland. For example, we sponsor the Hispanic Cultural Center, their facilities and their programming. We're also heavily involved in the Midland Downtown Farmers Market, which is really a gem in Midland. It's located on the grounds of the Museum of the Southwest. They have, especially this year, grown to have nearly 100 vendors and thousands of people visit every weekend. Their focus is on produce, flowers, and things that are actually grown in Midland. So it's not just a craft fair, it's an actual farmer's market. And that has uh, contributed a lot to the quality of place and just making Midland feel like a very vibrant home for these small creators, craftspersons, and uh, agricultural growers. So Sarah, you told me a long time ago something about Midland that completely surprised me. You told me that Midland has an essence about it that feels like Manhattan in the middle of Texas. You said that there is a hustle to people in Midland. I thought that was really unique and it really helps to describe how there's something about communities that people really don't anticipate until you actually get there. Can you tell us a little bit more about just the energy in the community and what you meant by that? In terms of uh, being a financial center and a producer for consumable goods, Midland is a powerhouse that people don't really consider. So I was just looking this up before our call. There are there have been multiple billion dollar deals done in the Permian Basin and negotiated in Midland over the past year. For example, one of the more recent ones was a $6.4 billion acquisition in Midland. And then just in downtown Midland, there are three companies with a combined market cap of about 37 to 40 billion dollars located downtown. So that creates a real sense of energy. People work long hours here. They work really hard. They're involved in huge deals and probably doing three different jobs at once. It keeps things really exciting. You never know what's going to happen next. And there's a palpable sense of energy and excitement in Midland. I'm wondering if that contributes to you having one of the highest, and depending on the year, sometimes the highest number of startups per capita. Also, if people don't know about Midland. Yes. um, A term that's used here is the wildcatter spirit. So wildcatter is kind of a colloquial or slang term for the original oil explorers. Some of them were geologists. Some of them were just guys who went out into oil fields and started to to drill wells. And sometimes they'd come up with a, a dry hole and sometimes they'd have a gusher and become fabulously wealthy overnight. So There is that driving, risk-taking spirit here that encourages people to uh, not only work hard at what they're doing, but maybe look at what they could strike out on their own and succeed with. So in other words, you're going to fall flat or you're going to have a huge roaring success and become, you know, entrepreneur of the year. You never know what's going to happen in Midland. Yeah, there's a lot of appetite for risk here. So the startup culture and the the young entrepreneurial culture of Midland has been brought up a few times. We've heard you talk about it several times um, over the the time that we've worked with you guys. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And um, you know, with with so many economic development organizations trying to attract that next gen workforce and entrepreneurs, and kind of build that uh, startup culture. Tell us more about how that is in Midland and how it came to be. A lot of it stems from the fact that the oil field and the energy industry demand technological leaps in order to remain cash flow positive as the market fluctuates. 
that leads to uh, an atmosphere where there's a lot of creativity and an activity in the startup realm. In terms of how the Midland Development Corporation supports that is that we work very closely with the University of Texas Permian Basin. One of the programs that we sponsor is the Midland Entrepreneurial Challenge. It is a shark tank style competition for small businesses that award that has prize money of up to half a million dollars should be divided among up to eight businesses. The businesses are chosen by an independent panel of judges as they go through the competition process. And they also are provided one-on-one coaching in strategic planning, finance, marketing, a lot of really valuable resources. So as businesses go through this process, they're able to accrue skills and then possibly win the prize money at the end. This has been a really great way for us to support the small business community. I was just reviewing past winners from previous years last week, and I realized that some of these businesses are now what we consider, you know, really key to the community. There are some breweries who become community gathering places. There are some uh, locally owned compounding pharmacies that offer products that you can't find in the chain. So we're very excited about this program. Always happy to work with the university on this. And then on the same note, we're also working with the University of Texas Permian Basin to fund a makerspace and incubator program. It will provide research and commercialization expertise, facilities and equipment, logistical support and networking opportunities for next gen- that next generation businesses need to thrive in Midland. This will be open to not only university students, but also members of the public. And it will provide resources for small businesses that they wouldn't otherwise be able to access. So it sounds like a lot of organizations you're partnering with are education related. So is that, do you have any, um, I guess, tips for, for economic developers of how, how to get something like this started, obviously connecting with those educational centers, but anything, any other tips for economic developers to kind of start on a path to create this entrepreneurial culture? So higher education is key, whether it's a university or a community college, Also, uh, we work closely with the local small business development center for this because they have the staff and the know-how. And then we also work hard to reach into our different diverse community leaders like Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and other nuclei of the community that know about small businesses that are trying to take off, just need either cash infusion or coaching. And then with with the right tools at their disposal, they can be a success. So one of the things that you had said previously, which is interesting, is how a lot of these startups that the MDC and the university and SBDC are working with have really become part of the fabric of the community. So with Midland, again, you are an entrepreneurial hub. You have the resources in place to support entrepreneurs. Are these entrepreneurs coming from outside of the area or are these mostly, you know, people that grew up there? It's, It's homegrown like you said, kind of stretching their wings and and seeing what else they can do. Looking at the list and talking to the people who are interested, it's a really good mix of both. There are some people who are in their 20s and 30s who wanted to leave Midland and go to college elsewhere and never come back. And they've discovered that Midland has opportunities that they weren't able to find elsewhere or they enjoy the community sphere here. So they end up coming back. And then, of course, uh, no community can can thrive without an infusion of outside blood. So there is also a good number of people who come to Midland specifically 
speaking opportunity or looking at what they can make happen here. So Sarah, you're the next generation of economic developers. What has the industry gone right and what needs to change in your opinion? I I do think that there is a negative perception of economic development as being corporate welfare. I do not think that that is what economic development is. At its core, economic development is a competitive tool to give communities an edge as they seek new industry and business to come into their community. But it can also be deployed for quality of life, childcare, emerging social issues. Basically, the challenges that a community has can be addressed on some level through economic development because those challenges almost always have an economic question at their core, whether it's the female workforce is unable to find childcare, whether people don't want to stay in the town because there aren't enough amenities. So economic development can be used to address all of those. From my perspective, I always like to look at problems from a perspective of yes, and how can we make this work? And how does this impact our city? Not a perspective of no, that's not traditional economic development, uh, so we're just not going to work on it, not going to bother with it. In my opinion, my organization needs to be a versatile tool that can meet the needs of my community as approved by uh, elected leadership and board leadership. So we can morph to be what our city needs to be. Um, I also like to emphasize a personal acknowledgement of customer service. So the Midland Development Corporation is a steward of tax dollars. And as such, I will talk to anybody, even if I know that what they want to talk to me about is either going to be confrontational or maybe not exactly in my job description. I will still talk to them, find out what they need, how they can be helped, what resources can be deployed, or just listen to them. So as a personal phase, I want to give good customer service to taxpayers and then also just emphasize how versatile economic development can be. It's not only an edge for attracting companies, it's an edge for solving problems in communities. I think that's really interesting because, you know, when you talk about traditional economic development roles, what people maybe assume that economic developers or organizations should do. And how really that has to be nimble and responsive to the needs of the community. I think it's important to remember as an industry that economic development was created as an industry because of needs of a community of the communities. Yes. And obviously, uh, being responsive is necessary for the industry not to grow stale. And what you said in regards to really looking at the holistic system that makes an economy work or not work and how things like childcare play into that, amenities play into that, is something that from what we've seen, a lot of younger economic developers are really embracing. And I I kind of wonder why, uh, why do you think it is that maybe the younger generation of economic developers are, are seeing that? I believe it may be personal experience. Anyone who has tried to re-enter the workforce after becoming a parent um, can can see that that can either help you in your career or derail your career. I also think that being open to new opportunities is something that arises naturally from new people entering entering the profession. Yeah, that's a really good perspective. I mean, especially like you talked about with personal experience. And I think there definitely is um, a benefit to the industry to have diverse people in these positions because of the experiences and backgrounds people bring with them. 
So how would you say we can invite more young professionals into the economic development industry? The primary way I think that more professionals can be brought in is showing how interesting, diverse, and inclusive economic development can be. It's not just real estate. It's not just site selection, although it can be, and those are very interesting. Um, it is, in terms of a, a launch pad for your career, going to give someone as much exposure as any other profession. You're going to be working with business leaders from every industry in your community. You're going to be working with elected officials on the state and federal level. And I cannot think of another career path that would have afforded me so many opportunities to learn. Um, one of my favorite things about my job is all the different people I get to work with and all the different teams I get to be on. It's not just the people in my organization. It's, you know, businesses, universities, community college, city council, legislative staff, different professional organizations and advocacy staff. And uh, I enjoy that. I love knowing what's going on in my community and feeling like I'm making a difference. So I think that this is one of the most viable ways to do that in terms of a career. I think that's a really good point to make um, in regards to obviously the, the network that you established is fantastic, but you said you want to make a difference. And I don't know if people maybe coming out of college instantly think of economic development as a way to make a difference. It certainly is. And so I think that's an education piece for anyone who's interested, you know, even in social services, that there are ways to really um, enhance the quality of life in your community, even within that economic development space and, and really fulfill your passion, but just in, in a different field. Yes. And again, it depends a lot on leadership. Midland is really blessed to have visionary and forward thinking leaders at the elected official level and at the board level. So you know, without their guidance and buy-in, um, a development corporation can't just strike off on its own. That would be pretty disastrous. But with that solid foundation, there is a lot of potential to change the community for the better and lay the foundation for what we want it to look like tomorrow. Hey, I do have to ask you one random fun question. Yes. So you said that you'll stop and talk to anyone at any time. What's the most random question you've been asked? <laughs> there has to be some. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, the most random was actually pretty sad, and it came recently. So I'm not sure if you want that. It was actually someone who was reaching out because they were in an abusive situation, and they wondered if the development corporation could help them find housing. Um, we can't, but there is an organization here who does. So I pointed them that way. That's a downer. So let me think of something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it actually does speak to the I, I, social services aspect, right? I, I, mean, I think that the most random questions I get are slightly accusatory asking why there isn't a Trader Joe's and a Nordstrom in Midland. Clearly you're failing. There's not a Trader <laughs> yeah. Joe's. So in terms of either of those, we'd love to have a Trader Joe's, but frankly, um, our market can't serve a Nordstrom and it will never be here or at least not for the foreseeable future. So I, I accept those questions, but <laughs> I always smile on the inside. But hey, if you're in the real estate department for Trader Joe's public service announcement, Midland is open for you. <laughs> yes, uh, we're open for everyone. So please hit me up. <laughs> So Sarah, in being your, your gatekeeper, the gatekeeper for Midland, I know that you guys really have a focus in aerospace. Um, how did you pivot from being traditionally like an oil and gas focused area to uh, now aerospace? 
Yes. So nearly 10 years ago, some really visionary leaders on Midland City Council and the board decided to pursue a spaceport license for Midland. So that was obtained. Midland International Air and Spaceport is an FAA licensed part 420 spaceport, and it is the only spaceport in the United States that is co-located with um, an airport that provides commercial flights. So uh, with that being a great asset in place, we have been able to attract some aerospace companies. AST and Science has created their network called Space Mobile. They manufacture satellites here in Midland to launch, to create a international broadband network that works with existing providers like AT&T and Verizon to provide globe-spanning service, even in locations without existing infrastructure, like uh, around the equator and other underserved areas. So that's one of the aerospace companies in Midland. The other is Kepler Aerospace. Uh, their business model is based on launching uh, vehicles and rockets from conventional aircraft. So using the runways at the Midland Airport, they would use conventional aircraft, fly out over the Gulf, and a payload would launch from there. So we're very excited to have these aerospace companies here in Midland, and we are talking to many other prospects who are interested in using our spaceport for launch and uh, our clear airspace because uh, airspace congestion is becoming more of an issue uh, industry-wide. Something else that we're embarking on is a high-speed aerospace corridor feasibility study. So this is a possibility for a FAA-designated corridor for high-speed hypersonic and supersonic reusable launch vehicles to be tested and developed. It's useful to think of it as infrastructure in the air. Currently, there is not a available venue or resource for these kind of vehicles to be tested, developed, um, and launched. So we are looking into the possibility of having a corridor designated between Midland International Air and Space Port and a number of different possible locations. That would be a big impetus for additional industry locations here because that kind of available testing is, uh, is so great to have. So what you're saying is that these craft that can go supersonic speeds, they have to have a set in the air freeway system, so to speak, right? Where there'd be nothing else that would cross that airspace. So that way they could test without accidentally running into something else. Correct. So it has to be a designated corridor of completely clear airspace. And uh, we're embarking on a feasibility study now, so it has not been designated, but it's something that we'd love to see happen. And I think that there is a lot of industry desire and also guidance from federal level. This kind of testing has to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, it's fascinating and it's interesting because what you were saying before, obviously, in regards to years ago, um, the board putting in for the application for the spaceport. You know, clearly you guys are looking at not just industries you want to attract, but how to really find a niche for yourself within those industries. Yes, exactly. So um, Midland isn't located on a coast. So the, the kind of launches that you see from Florida or California or even Boca Chica with SpaceX aren't possible. But reusable launch vehicles and that kind of corridor is definitely something that would be possible here. So I guess if we were talking to other communities who are also trying to find ways to transition out of being very heavy and in various industries that relate to energy. Look for your niche is what I'm hearing you say. 
And also aerospace is very complementary to the energy industry. Midland has two times the national average of engineers. So a lot of the skills needed for aerospace are either already in the workforce here or are very similar to the training programs that are located here. So in that sense, it was less of a wild leap than it might seem. Okay, well, we are at the time that we play our shovel toss game. So basically how that works, Sarah, is we have 10 questions or kind of get to know you questions. And so I'm going to ask them to you just one after another and just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. So what is the last book that you read? If you're reading uh, one. The last book I read was actually Test Gods. It's about the process that Virgin Galactic has gone through in New Mexico and California to get their system in and to launch their vehicles and recently culminated with their first space flight. Oh, wow. Uh, what's your favorite podcast? One of my friends uh, has a true crime podcast and it's called Stab in the Back. And it is delivered with a lot of panache and relish by both of the, both of the hosts. And I, I enjoy listening to it. I would, even if I didn't know one of the hosts. All right. I have a couple of friends who love true crime. I'll have to suggest that one. <laughs> yes, definitely. What is the first, very first thing that you do in the morning? I look at my phone and decide if I can go back to sleep or not. And what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, when I grew up, I think I thought I was going to be a writer and uh, write a lot of really interesting books. And it turns out that I don't have the internal motivation to do that. I actually have to have external impetus, uh, impetus of people yelling at me to get things done. <laughs> I am more motivated than that, but it just wasn't right for me. Uh, who is your favorite superhero and why? Ah, I don't know. I've, I might be boring this, but I don't really have one. <laughs> what superpower would you want and why? I want to say telepathy, but limited. So I l- wouldn't lose my mind to right. be able to read the minds of a few other people. I like that one. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, if you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? Um, maybe New York for a year with the knowledge that I could leave at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could have a meal with anyone in history, who would it be with and why? Maybe Winston Churchill to just have him talk about statesmanship if he were sober enough to to do it. (laughs) Either Winston Churchill or Lyndon Johnson, not because he's a hero, because I think he was really interesting as a politician. Who is your favorite band or singer when you were a teenager? Um, I really liked No Doubt and Gwen Stefani. (laughs) And your most embarrassing hairstyle or article of clothing from your childhood? Um... I had a a dress in the 80s with a very large collar that had jewels sewn onto it. I thought (laughs) it was beautiful when I was about five. So that would probably be it. Awesome. All right. Well, that concludes our questions. Thank you so much for being a good sport and answering those. Um, It's always fun to kind of get to know our our, um, interviewees a little bit better and, and ask some fun questions. So thank you for doing that with us. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a really great conversation today. Certainly. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. A very special thank you to Sarah Harris of the Midland, Texas Economic Development Corporation. It was very fun learning about the hidden gem that is Midland, Texas. As far as social media goes, you can check out Midland, Texas EDC on Facebook. Like them at Midland TX EDC. Follow them on Twitter at Midland TX EDC. Follow them on LinkedIn at Midland Development Corporation. And subscribe to their YouTube channel at Midland Development Corporation. 
As far as Golden Shovel news goes, we do have a new hire. John Kennedy has joined the uh, Golden Shovel sales staff. And I only have one piece of advice for John. Ask not what Golden Shovel can do for you, John, but what you can do for Golden Shovel. Also in Golden Shovel news, we are having our first ever in-person company meeting. As many people know on this podcast, listening to this podcast, um, Golden Shovel has been and always will be a virtual company, but we are getting together in October and I am going to actually meet some folks that I've been working with for years in person. So that is going to be fun. Really looking forward to that. Um, Our economic development website design project planning guide is still out there for download. If you visit goldenshovelagency.com, you'll get a nice little pop-up and you can download it there. Golden Shovel on social media, like us on Facebook at Shovel Toss. Twitter, follow us at Gold Shovel. LinkedIn, follow us at Golden Shovel Agency and subscribe to our YouTube channel, please, at Golden Shovel Agency. Thank you very much for joining us on the latest episode of Shovel Talk. Um, Stay tuned to the Golden Shovel Agency social media accounts and website for announcements of our upcoming podcast. Thank you so much.